This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Entertainment, music, pop culture, LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Guess who's back? Ryan. Back, back, back in the house. Guess who's back in the house? Yeah. I am. Feeling it. This is Let's Go There, where we talk about the top news of the day, pop culture, our lives, and so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. Uh, most definitely. I gotta admit, I missed being on air yesterday. Oh, um, we missed you. Yeah, I, I, I miss having all the good discussions, and plus there was a discussion yesterday that I really wanted to talk about. Oh, It was the, the HIV uh, vaccine one. Yes. I really wanted to have that conversation, mm. but it's okay. It is okay. You can listen to it on our podcast on the Odyssey app. First of all, who does that? Just search Everyone. Let's Go There. You should all be listening. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking it's about. It's a trick question. Well, coming up, this show, now that we have you here, more on how the U.S. is getting involved with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's in 30 minutes with Politico. Definitely a conversation I'm looking forward to because I've got a lot of questions. A lot of us do. So, yeah, hang out with us for that conversation in 30 minutes. Uh, Plus separation anxiety. How to deal with life, getting back to normal, and your pets. Because your animals are not used to you not being around. That's at 4.25 p.m. Pacific, 7.25 p.m. Eastern. How's Coco doing? You know, Coco's doing good. I'm I'm trying to... Uh, I think she's really just adjusted automatically. She's a very well-adjusted dog. Um, she knows I have a lot going on in my life, and she doesn't want to be in the way. She just sits there <laughs> being like, I want food, but I won't ask for food because I know Daddy's busy. I'm going to starve all day. <laughs> exactly! <laughs> it's the worst. I, I know your doctor wanted her on a diet, but not that type um, of diet. Right, yeah. We're like keeping her... We're keeping her in a healthy way. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's get into some What's Trending This Hour. Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke out about the GOP opposition to a January 6th uh, commission. I don't know. You have to ask them what they're afraid of. You have to ask them, but it sounds like they're afraid of the truth. And that's most unfortunate. But hopefully they'll get used to the idea that the American people want us to find the truth. And that is what we intend to do. And to do it in a way that is as unifying as possible. And LGBTQ plus youth, especially transgender and gender nonconforming youth, are at a higher risk of suicide than their peers. Uh, that's according to a new survey by the Trevor Project. Almost one third of indigenous LGBTQ plus people reported attempting suicide in the past year. 
that's because of many things, including mostly an increase in anti-transgender legislation and the ongoing pandemic. LGBTQ plus youth are struggling to access the mental health they need. So really unfortunate news there. And uh, news coming out that employees at a plant that ruined millions of Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccines failed to shower or change clothes, according to a memo released by a key house committee. It is required when working in the factory and likely played a role in ruining those doses. Inspections of the facility that happened last year also flagged problems with mold, poor disinfection of plant equipment, and inadequate training of the employees. They didn't take showers or change their clothing. Yeah. Oh, God. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so we got to talk all things Billy Porter's Mm -hmm. big announcement on the cover of The Hollywood Reporter. It is time for the Tea Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Billy Porter is breaking his silence about being HIV positive in an emotional interview with The Hollywood Reporter published today. The Post star opened up about his diagnosis 14 years ago, the shame surrounding it, and why he decided to share his story. Here is a moment from the interview. ...to pose the spirit of it, the message of it, the purpose of it, my purpose, my calling, my ministry is about this conversation we're having because the world needs to know what HIV positive looks like. My question was always, well, why was I spared? You know, why am I living? Well, I'm living so I could tell the story. I'm living because I'm a vessel to make sure that everybody knows there was a whole generation who were here and I stand on their shoulders. I can be who I am in this space and in this time and in this world because of the legacy that they left for me. I mean, honestly, Chills, um, you should really check it out because Porter learned he was HIV positive in 2007. He describes it as the worst year of his life. Uh, The diagnosis came soon after he was also diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and filed for bankruptcy. So a lot going on in his journey in 2007. But I'm... He's just such a, a beautiful example of resilience and um, representation. And oh, yeah. um, you should really take the time out and read this entire article. I promise you it will have you crying um, sitting on your couch is all I'm saying. So, yes, that is your tea report. Next tea report. Next hour, we're talking all about Demi Lovato. And, honey, this time it's a good thing. Okay. Next up on the show, updates on the probe into the Trump Organization, including possible criminal capacity. What that even means with the Washington Post next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Attorney General Letitia James is joining the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in a criminal investigation of the Trump Organization. Here to tell us more is Shana Jacobs, national security reporter at the Washington Post. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, So they're saying it's not just civil anymore, it's criminal. What is going on here? They are saying that, um, but the statement released by uh, Letitia James's office last night indicates, uh, sort of clarifies what that means. Um, And it appears that they're they're sort of teaming up with um, the already long ongoing investigation 
at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So uh, at this point, it appears that they're sort of pooling efforts, um, possibly also pooling evidence. Um, but it is not yet clear, uh, you know, how much of a difference this is going to make as, as the case progresses. So does this mean that the two New York investigations are now merged into one? So because I know there was a, ci- a civil investigation and a federal one. So is that just now one big investigation? Or are they separated? Right. Well, there's still there's still an ongoing civil investigation headed by James's office. Um, it, you know, per a letter that was sent to the Trump organization uh, notifying lawyers over there of this of this change in status, um, the the criminal thing is it, it sounds like it's its own thing. It's it's uh, it's a part of the James investigation that is sort of being merged with Vance's investigation. The civil investigation remains ongoing and the attorney general could very well sue the Trump organization, which uh, could have a very um, chilling effect on their ability to do business, at least in New York uh, going forward. Yeah. What are the implications of this? Because it seems like any other investigation has just not done anything. Uh, Well, you know, these these are still pending and so are uh, at least a couple of the others um, that were in place when he when Trump left office. Um, People watching this case, experts and lawyers watching this case seem to think that there will be some sort of resolution in the coming months. Um, you know, the, the district attorney ultimately could decide not to bring bring any charges, but uh, they, they could also charge the Trump organization alone. They could tr- uh, charge Trump. They could charge other executives at the company. The possibilities, the combination of possibilities are, uh, are kind of endless there. Um, and James has sort of always um, suggested strongly that uh, her investigation is strong uh, and that they're turning up valuable information um so she could bring a um you know a civil fraud case a lawsuit um that could uh really harm the trump organization so uh again everything is still sort of up in the air but this sort of development is yet another reason to uh believe that things might be developing and moving along behind the scenes so I guess who could this all impact on like Trump's, I mean, the Trump campaign? What does that really mean? Like, who is this all touching if they end up starting to find out there was a, a lot of criminal activity happening? So it, it could touch Trump himself. Uh, it could touch the business alone uh, as an entity. It could touch um, some of the executives and officers at the Trump organization, including Trump's children who are, uh, you know, his three children who are part of the company. Um, it could also touch uh, his chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, who is um, at least being looked at very seriously in both cases, it, it appears. Um, it, it's also another almost unanswerable question at this yeah, point, because right. things, there's a lot new. going on behind the scenes that, you know, we're not we're not really privy to yet. Trump continues to say this, among many other things, are politically motivated and that this latest announcement is corrupt. Is it or is that just him just being butthurt about it? <laughs> um, I, I I can't really answer that, but it is the same, sort of along the lines of what he's been saying for many months at this point. Um, it, it, you know, makes perfect sense that that is 
you know, a reaction he would have considering <laughs> yeah. both both elected officials pursuing these cases are, you know, are Democrats. Um, James, at least, has been a vocal critic of his for a very long time. Um, so right, it's sort is, of to uh, be expected wh- that. Mm-hmm. I think, well, sorry to interrupt, but I do think that's why no, that's no. interesting because it, it does feel like since the New York Attorney General has been on this uh, some sort of campaign of kind of being very critical of him, it does feel like, well, could that possibly, you know, put out, put a little hole into this whole process of all the work that, you know, they're doing to make sure this happens because people will be like, well, maybe she's just on a witch hunt, as you know, he likes to call it. And so I, I, I do think that's interesting yeah. in the sense. It certainly um, seems to be something that will come up uh, in litigation if this is if uh, either of these cases is ever brought to court. Uh, you know, lawyers who are watching this, um, you know, who don't have anything to do with the case necessarily, but who are, you know, seasoned and expert in their in their profession, uh, definitely expect that to come up um, in motion papers when, if and when there is a case. A case, a criminal or a civil case to fight um, at any point. Okay. Well, that was Sheena Jacobs, national security reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Take care. Now, coming up, as the U.S. increases pressure on Israel to end the airstrikes, will it matter? The latest updates on the crisis next with Politico. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. President Joe Biden is increasing his public pressure on Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to end the fighting with Hamas that has stretched into a 10th day. Back with us is Ryan Heath, senior editor at Politico. Thanks again for joining us for this complicated um, issue and crisis that is continuing, unfortunately. It's a pleasure to be here. I love chatting with you guys. Well, can you share a bit of the background on Biden's longtime relationship with Netanyahu and how that could impact what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an extremely long relationship. And by all accounts, it's one that Biden says is characterized by a lot of love. But they are two people who've disagreed for a long time. And it really goes back to the time when Netanyahu was a mid-ranking diplomat in D.C. around about 40 years ago. And Biden was a fairly new senator at that point. Um, But the point is they know each other quite well and they've known each other for a long time. So the upside now is that they can have frank conversations. Um, But Netanyahu is always someone who has been willing to push boundaries and push the buttons of a a string of U.S. presidents. Uh, So I think that's what you're seeing right now is that Joe Biden had given him the benefit of the doubt at the beginning of this conflict And now he's losing his patience and Netanyahu is seeing just how long he can string it out for before things get really bad in Washington. So what does that mean? Biden's trying to uh, basically his patience is wearing thin. What is what is Biden doing to kind of put some more pressure um, to make sure that this thing gets, you know, finished? Well, he's had four phone calls now with Netanyahu and has specifically said that he expects one de-escalation And then the step beyond that is a ceasefire. And it's the thing that the White House has been a little bit wishy-washy on sort of exactly how they frame that. But clearly Biden would like a ceasefire and they've just been a bit soft on how they call for that. And I've spoken to people at the White House. I've spoken to people at the State Department and they insist that there has been a payoff um, in kind of minor ways to the strategy so far of not publicly condemning Netanyahu and, and demanding this ceasefire 
they think that uh, the Israeli government and defense forces have done a few things that would other have. Sorry, let me take that back. That they have refrained from a number of actions mm-hmm. that could have made things even worse, oh, wow. and that includes delaying a court decision that would almost certainly have evicted a group of Palestinian families from East Jerusalem, the rerouting of a nationalist parade that could easily have turned into violent scenes, for example. Uh, and then we've even had some people tell us at Politico that uh, the US was instrumental in, in getting Israel to back down from a ground invasion of Gaza. Uh, so it's very hard to confirm any of those details, but you know it's clear that there is pressure coming from the US side now. And that's very different from the, the almost blank check that existed 10 days ago. But even if de-escalation happens and there's quote-unquote peace now, this seems to happen every few years anyway, and there's still an underlying issue with the relationship between Israeli and Palestinians. So do you think that where we're going to land, hopefully soon, is going to start, we're going to start looking at this conflict differently? Is this, are we entering a new moment? I think that the American public is definitely entering a new moment, but I'm not sure that there is political will in the U.S. government to actually begin a whole new peace process. I wouldn't rule it out. It's possible. But Biden's been fairly clear that he doesn't want his presidency defined by the Middle East. And really, the only way to do the sort of thing you're talking about, which is to you know, end these cycles of violence, is to do a really comprehensive peace settlement. And we got quite close in the 1990s to achieving that. And that goal has remained elusive ever since then. Uh, Hamas is a much bigger player now than it was um, back when the last peace process was really working. Um, and so that obviously is a cause for concern if you're living in Israel. Um, most democratic governments classify them as a terrorist group. Um, there are just a lot of really thorny issues that need to be worked through. And the European Union can't do it because it doesn't have leverage with Israel because they've been so critical of Israel for such a long time. China is just interested in taking pot shots at America, so it's not going to step in to do it. I would not trust Russia, even if they volunteered. And the U.S. has been reluctant. And it's really got to come from one of those four players if you're going to, to, to solve this issue in any meaningful way. So my fear is that the violence ends, but we just go into this stalemate where, you know, violence isn't around for a few years and then the same thing kicks back off again. Yeah, why do you think Biden is so worried about finding the right tone in in a moment like this? Well, I think that the Democrats have been criticized by Republicans for quite a long time now for not being tough enough on terrorism and not supporting Israel enough. I mean, that wasn't always the case, but it is a sort of scar that is burned onto the bodies of a lot of Democrats. And so they, 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 they internalize that. But there is a sort of a generational fight that is going on now. And it's not only generational, but a lot of younger Democrats, a lot of people who are connected to global social movements think, well, hang on, why do I say that black lives matter? But I wouldn't stand up and say that Palestinian lives matter. And, you know, Israel will say right back to you, Israeli lives matter too. Um, But the point there is that Biden is quite old school about a lot of these things. And so if he doesn't take some more action now, he risks getting further and further out of step with where American public opinion is going. Um, and that might actually end up hurting him in, in 
surprising ways, in ways we wouldn't have predicted when he ran for president or when he was vice president to Obama. Definitely. You know, what you mentioned is really relevant to the conversation. We've been talking about it like, you know, why, if you say Black Lives Matter, Palestinian Lives Matter, or free Palestine, can you be pro-Israel while also saying free Palestine? Or is that like being a hypocrite? Let's talk about that next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Ryan Heath, senior editor at Politico, as we continue to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian crisis right now. And what comes up a lot for a lot of people in the U.S. is obviously if uh, you support Black Lives Matter, you support marginalized communities and you are against discrimination, racism, victory, all of that, then you will be about free Palestine and pro-Palestine. Is there a way to be pro-Israel in this conversation? For me, as a, a Jew, I want to free Palestine, but I also don't want to see Israel like not exist. That said, I do think they've um, gone a bit too far, and there needs to be some concessions here. But what is your take on that? Yeah, this is a really difficult one. Um, and we need to remember that Israel was born out of survival. You know, the backstory is clearly centuries of oppression of Jewish people culminating in the Holocaust, and Israel was the safe space for Jewish people. And so protecting that is essential. That shouldn't be negotiable. But I think after the first intifada, which is the uprising of young Palestinians that occurred in the late 1980s, there was a much stronger movement than we've seen in recent years among uh, Jewish Israelis saying that we need to change the fundamental conditions here. Otherwise, we will never live safely. We'll never live in peace. And with the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, the prime minister in 1995, and then the election of Netanyahu, a lot of that faded away and the peace process was never completed. Uh, and I think you might see a reemergence of that way of thinking now, which says that Israel will never have full peace and full security unless there are better conditions for Palestine. And Palestinians have to agree that they can't be bombing Israelis because that's just non-negotiable for anyone who cares about freedom and democracy and, and human rights. But 
we're never going to get out of this cycle unless there can be some greater level of security for both sides. So I do think it is possible to argue for that. Um, but that has just been a very minority opinion for the last couple of decades because things got so tense and because Netanyahu wasn't willing to compromise and then Hamas came in with all the rockets repeatedly. Yeah, right. I, you know, one thing I think that's been interesting about this whole entire thing is really kind of seeing how social media is playing a huge part. And I know yesterday, recently, I saw that Snapchat, a lot of people were using like the little Snapchat map to actually go and look at Israel and Palestine and see people who are out, you know, in just different regions from, you know, Tel Aviv or Gaza and seeing the difference, the extreme difference just between of what's going on. And so I was wondering, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how social media is playing a positive and negative part in this? Well, I think the thing is that social media really removes all filters and intermediaries. So if you're engaging on social media, you can often trust it more because you're seeing things and making choices um, for yourself rather than what someone's choosing to show you. Uh, and we don't have to rely on what a government or uh, some other organization decides that it's willing to, to share with us. And that's often an issue with military and, and defense information. People don't want to tell the full story because it might compromise the military operation. And you end up with these fragments that people don't trust or don't, um, you know, don't get, think they get a full understanding from. And social media really changes that situation. It's hard for you as an individual to judge what is accurate, though, because you can also be pumped full of wrong information by people who want to manipulate you. So that's fairly ups and the downs of the situation. But I think a lot of people have operated on a kind of autopilot mode in the United States on this issue because people think like, well, obviously we support Jewish people in Israel, kind of default, done, let's get back with our lives. And people don't think about some of the other details. And I think what's different this time is that because you have social media, a lot more people are able to easily engage with the other side of the argument instead of having to go and find it in a particular media outlet or waiting for a government to, to hand the information down from, from the top of a mountain. And so I think that is just changing the debate in ways that we don't even fully understand. Yeah, yet. and it's also unique timing with everything that's happened over here in the U.S. with how we um, support each other as communities and marginalized communities. So I, I feel like that also plays into that and how far we have come and what we're continuing to push for. Uh, but we, we really hope to have you back because I could have a whole show around this right now. Uh, that was Ryan Heath, senior editor at Politico. Thanks again for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, we'll tell you what pop star just came out as non-binary. More details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour of the show, why coronavirus vaccines may not work in some people. That's right. That's in 30 minutes. Plus, the big news of a pop star we love here at Channel Q, who just came out as non-binary. We'll tell you more in a moment in the Tea Report. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. 107-year-old Viola Fletcher, the oldest living survivor of the Tulsa race massacre, testified during a Capitol hearing about possible compensation for victims. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. I will not. And other survivors do not, and our descendants do not. 
When my family was forced to leave Tulsa, I lost my chance of an education. I never finished school past the fourth grade. I have never made much money in my country. State and city took a lot from me. Despite this, I spent time supporting the war effort in the shipyards of California. But most of my life- so the hearing uh, was very emotional, and the same committee has also been uh, studying reparations for the descendants of millions of enslaved Americans, and recently advanced a bill that would create a commission to study the lingering effects of slavery. And the Biden administration has ended a Trump-era policy that denied American citizenship to same-sex couples' children born abroad via surrogacy or in vitro fertilization. This was, this was just horrible. So. So happy to see this not happening anymore. The State Department will resume automatically granting citizenship as it did before former President Trump changed the policy. The Trump administration classified those children as born out of wedlock to deny them citizenship. Now parents of a child born abroad to a U.S. citizen can go to the U.S. Embassy and get their child's U.S. citizenship recorded and a U.S. passport issued. So... Great stuff. That's an early Yaz Queen. The right thing to do. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Yes, yes. Demi Lovato kicked off her pot. Well, well, Demi Lovato kicked off their new podcast, F4D with Demi Lovato, with a very personal announcement. Here it is. I want to take this moment to share something very personal with you. Over the past year and a half, I've been doing some healing and self-reflective work. And through this work, I've had the revelation that I identify as non-binary. With that said, I'll officially be changing my pronouns to they, them. I feel that this best represents the fluidity I feel in my gender expression and allows me to feel most authentic and true to the person I both know I am and still am discovering. So shout out to Demi Lovato for... You know, finally coming to terms with whatever this new journey that they are on. And I think it's very important um, because I think we're seeing literally Demi change before our eyes in ways that we probably didn't see in the past or we thought we saw in the past. And um, this is how they decided to kick off their podcast, 4D with Demi Lovato. It's actually available now on Odyssey, um, of course, the app. Podcasts and everywhere podcasts are available. New episodes of the podcast are made in partnership with Cadence 13, OBB Sound, and SB Prada uh, Projects and will be available every Wednesday. We can basically expect Demi to share and explore what's on their heart and in their uh, in the corners of their mind, curiosities, experiences, movements, and voices that raise the collective frequency of their community of listeners and fans so they too can experience life in 4D. Um, Episode one is very special for Demi as they are sharing deeply personal news. um, The news that we just listened to of them coming out and exploring this new journey. Um, And I think it's going to be really, really great. You should check it out. You know, I'm happy for Demi. I I think Demi, if Demi can finally know peace, in a world where it feels like she, well, they have never known peace. I think it, it's really, it's really important to, to see that. That's the hope. It's a journey, yeah. and we can't speak for their experience at all. And I think that it's, it feels easy for a lot of people to have judgments or reactions right. to things that they talk about. And it seems like every week there's a new thing 
that is being revealed or a new project or a new documentary. Uh, but good on them. If this is part of their process of healing, great. You know, as long as they are safe and happy, that's all that matters. Um, but I think this journey is going to be con- continue. It's continuing. It's not like just because you announce that you've accepted your sexuality or your identity that it's over. Like, oh, you've yeah. reached the peak. <laughs> well, like to be it honest, being uh, non-binary has nothing to do like that. That's that's a, a gender identity and. Um, and sexual identity are two different. Well, I things. said, yeah, sexual. Yeah. I said sexuality and identity because yeah. uh, didn't they also before that first it was that they were que- like there was a uh, yeah they, they were queer yeah. and then yeah so it's, yeah but yeah they're having a great year and uh, forty I love the name. For, I mean, it feels like it's right up your alley. You know, there is something called five D. Is it? Yes. I don't. I mean, that seems <laughs> we can talk about that. <laughs> another time. Well, that's your tea report. I'm very, very proud of Demi Lovato. And if you don't know what non-binary means or genderqueer, head over to Glad's website because they have a great resource there to teach you everything you need to know about the proper pronouns to use and even the mess-ups and the flaws that you go through with yes. it. So, figure it out. We Love got that. you. Well, coming up on the show, a lot of the vaccine works for a lot of us, of course, but there are some people that the vaccine might not work for. More on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, for many, the COVID-19 vaccines have 95% efficacy. According to experts, it might not even work for some people. But why? Dori Segev, a researcher at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, joins us right now. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me on the show. So how likely is it that a COVID-19 vaccine won't work for someone? Well, so COVID-19 vaccines require the immune system to do things like make antibodies and rev up T cells and create immunity so that then when you see the virus, your immune system can attack it. There are people in this country, specifically around 10 million people in this country, who take medications that specifically block the immune system, for example, to prevent symptoms of autoimmune disease or to keep organ transplants for rejecting. And these people have blunted immune systems. And what we're finding is that their immune responses to the vaccines are also blunted, probably putting them at significant risk if they were to assume that they had protective immunity. Yeah, you know, I think the messaging and just a lot of the conversation surrounding the vaccine has been a little bit all over the place. And I'm wondering, is this like new information that we should have known about earlier in the pandemic or and earlier as the development of the vaccine was happening? Or is this just something that they found out like just a few like you know days ago or right. weeks ago? <laughs> Well, you know, it should not have been a surprise to people that people who are on immunosuppression medications have less vaccine response. But, you know, in general, when people think about all of this messaging and all of these vaccines are released, you know, people aren't thinking about, you know, vulnerable subpopulations. They're thinking about the overwhelming majority of the country. And in the overwhelming majority of the country has a normal immune system and has great response to these vaccines. But people who were on immunosuppression medication were excluded from the clinical trials that showed how well these vaccines work because, again, they were, you know, aimed at the majority of the population rather than looking specifically at vulnerable subpopulations. And 
now that we've looked, I mean, we've studied thousands of patients. Now we know that the antibody responses are just lacking in many people. For example, in transplant patients, only half of transplant patients develop any antibody whatsoever after the second dose of the vaccine. And even the ones who have some antibody have a lower level of antibody than people with normal immune systems. People with normal immune systems, 100% of people have off-the-charts antibodies to that vaccine. Wow. Why is that for transplants? Because, you know, they take medication that, that purposefully blocks their immune system from doing the things it would do to reject yeah. their organ, but also now blocks the immune system from doing the things that it would do to activate against the virus. Mm. So what recommendations do doctors have for those who are immunocompromised right now? And if I guess they take the vaccine or it doesn't matter yeah, I think, well, remember that some immunity is better than no immunity. So, you know, the general recommendation, unless somebody has some major contraindication, is for everybody to get vaccinated. And that includes everybody who is immunosuppressed. And that includes transplant patients like the ones that I take care of. So for sure, get vaccinated. But if you are immunosuppressed, the general recommendation right now is don't do anything that the CDC says is unsafe for unvaccinated people. So the thing I tell my transplant patients is get vaccinated, but act unvaccinated. Don't take, don't re reduce all of those protective behaviors that have kept you from getting this horrible virus in the last year quite yet. You know, everybody, and it's frustrating because everybody's out celebrating mm -hmm. that these vaccines are so great and that they can go back to what life was before the pandemic. But that celebration is not right now for transplant patients and uh, other people who are immunosuppressed. Yeah. You, do you think the CDC is kind of trying to speed up and put a priority on trying to make sure that they kind of find a solution to this? So, you know, the, the CDC's job is to put out guidelines based on science. And based on science, you know, as they've said, if you're vaccinated, you're safe to be around people without a mask. The problem is that that only applies to people with normal immune systems. The CDC has made this very clear. The real problem is that people are making policies now based on these CDC observations. And the problem is you tell people, oh, well, if you're vaccinated, you can go maskless. And then people reduce, like they eliminate mask mandates. And then you know what unvaccinated people are going to do? They're also going to go maskless. Mm -hmm. And now, yep. you know, the general risk for everybody around increases dramatically. All right. Well, thank you so much for your work and for being here for this. And just, again, stay safe out there if you are part of this group. That was Dori Segev, a researcher at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. And yes, we will figure this out. Don't despair, but please stay safe right now. Now coming up, the research behind why it's difficult to understand what it's like to be poor if you've never been in that situation. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A recent study in the Journal of uh, Social Psychological and Personality Science reveals the mindset of those who have power or who are wealthy. And joining us right now is Dr. Pamela Smith, Associate Professor of Management at UC San Diego, who was one of these schools behind this. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. 
So how did you conduct this study to measure empathy and more of those who are in positions of power or who have money? Well, we actually did several studies to look at this. In some of the studies, we actually manipulated how much power people had. So we put them in groups where they were either in a position where somebody else made the decisions or they themselves were the ones who made the decisions. And then we also had a study or two where we just simply measured how powerful people felt. And what we found across both of those studies is that when you had more power or when you even felt more powerful, you felt, you, well, first off, you felt like you yourself had more choice. That's not very surprising. But what we were surprised to find is you felt like other people had more choice. When you saw somebody just acting out, in the, you know, doing stuff out in the world, you were more likely to label their behaviors as choices and then in particular, we, wanted, we were interested in, well, what implications does this have? And we, so we also gave people scenarios where they imagined, you know, imagine you encountered somebody who was in a car accident. Imagine you have a subordinate working for you, and that person makes a lot of errors on a task. And in a variety of situations like that, we found that the person who had more power or who felt more powerful blamed these people more when bad things happened to them. And they were even more willing to punish them. So I'm going to be honest with you. Um, yeah. When I saw this article in your, your research, it kind of feels like a dumb moment. Like this is kind of like something <laughs> that I would, you know, all of us already know. So what's the importance behind a study like this? What are you wanting everyone to kind of understand from this? So... I feel you. I hear you on that. Um, so, you know, there's, so this, the simplistic answer is I'm a professor, I'm a researcher, I want to see the full data. But then there's also the reality of I could also have painted you a pic picture that was the exact opposite, mm, right? Like I could, I could have said to you, oh, powerful people, they want to let everybody know how special they are. So they're totally aware that they have much more choice than everybody else. You know, there's, there's a way you could have imagined the opposite story being true. So that's why we were like, we want to study this. I do agree that if you, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there where, yeah, this, these results do resonate. Um, and I think the other thing that um, we found important when we did this research was to make sure that this was really about having power per se, um, about gaining power, getting power, as opposed to, um, you could also imagine a scenario where, oh, we like to give narcissistic people power. And that's why this stuff happens. And there might be some reasons people might think we like to give narcissists power. <clears throat> but what we wanted to show that that's not just about that, that, hey, if people in general, when they get power, they tend to take on this mindset. Interesting. And does, it, does this um, connect to people who were poor and then become rich? Do they have empathy for those who have been in the, or their position because they've been there? You know, that's an interesting question. And that funny you ask about that. I don't know of much data out there about oh. that right now. And I've been talking to a colleague about collecting data on that. That's that interesting. Because that, yeah. mm, that is particularly interesting. Like, because you, again... 
you know, human beings are, we're really good at imagining stories, right? So I could imagine on the one hand, oh, you know what it was like, so you can empathize. But I can also imagine a scenario where somebody might think, well, I pulled myself up. Why isn't everybody else doing it? And we see that. So how, that's why. Um, how can this change policy? Because I, I think that is a big reason why we do studies like this to have data. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things, and and notice, I think I'm. I was excited that this research is getting some airplay. I think it's especially relevant as you see recent news stories coming out where people are asking questions like oh, well, why aren't unemployed people signing up for certain kinds of jobs? Why are unemployed people unemployed in the first place? And I feel like as I see some narratives getting pushed out there about what are these people doing, um, I think it's important to remind everyone of like, hey, you know, especially if you're in a position with not much power, you don't have a lot of choice. And... I mean, we have not tested any interventions yet, but I'm hopeful that if we can start reminding people that we need to think much more carefully about other people, people's contacts, right. other people's mm-hmm. situations. Well, if you ever want to... Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I, oh, go on. Well, I was just saying, if you ever want to test um, the, the poor person being rich again and how my worldview would change, I'm here for it. <laughs> Very much. We'll just... I see. Um, you know, we'll we'll get in touch then, and I'll figure out how. You'll, you'll let me know how much money I should ask for in that grant. Yes, <laughs> there yes. you go. Uh, thank you again. That was Dr. Pamela Smith, associate professor of management at UC San Diego. Have a great night. You too. Bye bye. Very good sense of humor too. Interesting. Uh, coming up on the show, airlines could start weighing passengers before boarding. We'll tell you more about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Listen to what airlines are announcing now. If they weren't taking our souls and our money, you know, adding all these different fees. Well, they're soon going to require plus size passengers to step on the scale or provide their weight before boarding the aircraft. You know what they can do? They can kiss my ass. Mm hmm. Yep. <laughs> the initiative was outlined in this recent FAA advisory. They want to provide new data on average passenger weights, as the current numbers reportedly don't reflect today's obesity rates in the U.S. And in turn, it would ensure that aircrafts, especially the small ones, don't exceed their allowable weight limit. And so how it would work is they would choose a passenger or a passenger or a traveler. The operator may determine the actual weight of the passenger. So they just like look at you. This is, I'm assuming. How else do you determine the actual weight? By having them also step on a scale before boarding the aircraft. This would be, I mean, horrible. Imagine this happening to someone in front of everyone. No, um, are you kidding me? They, this has already been going on for so long. Besides, not the weighing, but they make plus uh, some plus size people. Depending on your weight, they make you buy two seats. And so, this fat phobia in this country and the society is just so. Well, do they make you buy, yes, or do, do people like choose seats. to do that because they like they want to do that? No, you have to buy no. two seats if you are over a certain limit, which is awful. Like, they're already making such uh, uh, people feel awful about being themselves, and, and it just feels gross, and it's completely unnecessary. And so it's, it doesn't even make sense why 
and what this has to do with the airplane. My thing is build stronger airplanes. Right. <laughs> what are you Maybe. doing? Well, Our listen, airplanes made out of like rubber. Of, what do you, like we like. Are there's, you about to be fat phobic over the no, airways? I'm just saying. I don't think, like, airplanes, there are a certain amount of weight on an airplane that it can handle. I think that it won't matter one person, one person, or a few people on the flight, their weight. But I do think it has to do with it. I'm not an airline flight expert. You're being fat phobic right now. I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> if someone is listening who knows this I industry in aviation, I can't. I can't. give us a call. I'm sorry. Build, first of all, planes, we've seen videos and talked about it here on the air where we've seen videos where someone has looked out their window and their, uh, the, the airplane was faulty or the, 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 well, yeah, I'm the not saying the airplanes arm, are perfect. The arm was caught on fire or something. My thing is worry about fixing the things that need to be fixed instead of worrying about making people feel bad for their size. It's gross. It's gross. And there's already these rules and already these stigmas against them that they're already putting them through. So what's the point of, one, um, weighing them? Are you going to refund their money back if they can't go on the plane? Like, it just feels well, Yeah, this gets complicated, obviously. Uh, so, I, you know, why is weight important on a flight? It is because of safety. But that said, there needs to be a way to handle the situation without being discriminatory all, and shaming people like how is how is one person's weight going to affect the safety of so many others weight what? distribution actually does matter on a plane yeah but th- that's for like luggage and bringing what a people it's, people no, it's are, everything is meaning if you have a certain side of the plane that is heavier than the other side it could impact the plane and the, the ability sorry, to fly this is gross i don't want to take part in this conversation any I'm just, longer I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the shaming and how they're doing it i'm i'm not uh, i'm bringing up the, i can't the, tell you're the smiling. idea no, you're smiling you're, you're smiling back from me little <laughs> He loves this. He loves torturing me. Please help. It's so fun. I'm not going to lie to you. I, you can't even see my eyes. I'm blinking twice. She's like shaking. Her lips quivering. I promise. Airlines have, have to measure their weight. No, but I still stand by everything I said. That we're having a funny moment, but seriously, this is discriminatory. I don't believe that. Build stronger planes and stop being lazy. I mean, the airline industry can't even continue after COVID, let alone build new planes. But yes. It's so gross. I can't believe this. At LGT shows where you can I find us what on social media. It. Did it say specifically what airlines are It just said it? the FAA has started. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. So I, I'm sure there it will be airlines that will be called out when this, once this happens. We'll see TikTok oh, videos. Wait. Oh, it's going to happen. I'm ready to drag. Again, we love to hear from you at LGT Show. 
I'm sure some people had thoughts on that. Anyway, Penn State is making moves for the LGBTQ plus community, how they are getting rid of the binary next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up the on the show today, we're going to talk about how to prepare your pandemic pet for your return to normal life. I feel just so bad for the animals who got so used to all of us. Yeah, let's talk about how Shira got a pet sponsor <laughs> and she doesn't own a pet. And I own a dog. I own a pet through uh, <laughs> my housemates. It's not your dog. You know, I support that pet with emotional support. (laughs) Yeah, but no, seriously, this is a serious topic that I think um, everyone should tune in for. Because, yeah, our our pups, our cats, well, cats probably not because cats hate everyone. But dogs, they will miss us. I know. And I believe dogs go through depression as well. Well, we're here for you. Seasonal depression. Yes, we're talking about that in 15 minutes and how to get through that difficult time. And, of course, we're also talking about uh, someone who is dating Rihanna. Yes! Rihanna got a boyfriend. who's coming out about what it's like. Well, they're Ooh, not I coming love out. That. But... Well, coming out about what it's... I could say coming out as referencing something else. Oh, my. Jesus. That's in the tea uh... report in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The House voted to approve legislation to establish an independent and bipartisan commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy announced, of course, he wouldn't support the commission, siding with the Republicans who have tried to downplay efforts to overturn the 2020 election and the attack. Uh, Representative Tim Ryan, right before the vote, went off on Republicans for opposing the commission. Benghazi, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. I yield back the balance. Okay, yeah, that was a, a lot. The final vote was 252 to 175. 35 Republicans joined Democrats in supporting the legislation. And Penn State University officials approved a measure that would remove gendered and binary terms like freshmen and upperclassmen from their course and program descriptions late last month. With lower division and upper division, as well as he, him, his, and she, her, hers pronouns with they, them, theirs pronouns. Okay. The impetus for the changes was to move beyond... The school's lexicon of sexist and classist terms and to build a more inclusive and welcoming environment for all students, according to this proposition. So good on Penn State. Doing good work. Let's move on to this Trevor Project survey that was just published. Using a transgender or non-binary kid's preferred pronouns can quite literally save their life. The organization, which we love, they offer crisis intervention, suicide prevention for LGBTQ youth, found that trans and non-binary kids attempt suicide at much lower rates when adults use their preferred pronouns and when they're able to change their gender marker on ID documents. Even just one accepting adult in an LGBTQ kid's life can lower their likelihood of attempting suicide by 40%. Again, great work from The Trevor Project. For more, go to the Trevor Project. 
www.thebigshow.org. But that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, you know... Mm. Rihanna got a boyfriend. Yes. And I am very excited about it. Well, to be honest, let's take a chill pill here. Because just her boyfriend, ASAP Rocky, who is a, a rapper, we all are familiar. Um, well, maybe you might not be. This may be the first time you've heard his name. ASAP Rocky, yes. Um, he has confirmed that he and Rihanna are dating. It is time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So ASAP. Yes, he sure did. He called her the love of my life in the June-July issue of GQ. He also called her my lady um, and said he is very happy to be in a relationship with Rihanna. Um, Basically, he's 32. She's 33, if you're wondering about ages. They're they're Um, still so young. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Basically, he said that so much better when you get the one. She amounts to probably like a million of other ones. I think when you know, you just know she's the one. Now, here's the thing. Okay, here it goes. Let me tell you this. You know, I'm waiting for Rihanna to confirm because she's had several men like Drake and everybody else fall in love with her and she's never claimed either one of them. And so until she claims ASAP Rocky out of her own mouth, that's when I will be like, okay, she has a boyfriend. But right now, ASAP Rocky has a girlfriend. I don't know if Rihanna has a boyfriend. That's kind of awkward, be right? That's that's weird. It's just how Rihanna rose, and I and I love that for her. You know, she don't claim men; they claim her, and she goes on about her life. Um, but I do think it's very sweet that he's publicly speaking out because it has been rumored for so long um, that they have been dating for a while. They've been doing like a lot of cross country trips to see each other. Last summer, mixing business with pleasure. He's working on a new album, and apparently, she's been helping him on that new album. So it's a lot of different things happening but like I said Rihanna call me and let me know if that is your boyfriend because <laughs> I just want to know coming up in the T-Report I got Demi Lovato news you're want, you're going to want to know about because guess what her podcast 4D with Demi Lovato is on Odyssey and she's announced some really big news that's coming up next hour so you better stick around I'm done spilling okay coming up on the show we've got a certified dog behavior expert joining us to discuss how to deal with post-pandemic separation anxiety you might be having with your pets as you go back to work. Or the dog is. Or either either way, it's happening. Everybody's stressed. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, you either spent a lot of time with your pet over the pandemic or you got a new one. It's so sad to hear about all these dogs who are adopted being brought back. But what happens now that you have to go back to work? How do you prepare your dog for this next stage of your relationship post-pandemic? Well, here to help is Kate Naito, a certified dog behavior consultant on uh, separation anxiety and owner of High 10 Dog Training. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you guys for having me. So you specialize in separation anxiety. Uh, it's yeah, it's one of the top things that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, and so pets actually do experience this. How do you know if your pet is going through this? It's really interesting because we talk about separation anxiety as sort of like every dog that barks when they're home alone has separation anxiety, and that's not really true. Separation anxiety is essentially a panic attack. It's very serious. It's very distressing for the dog, and it, that panic attack goes on until the owner returns. So that's kind of like worst case scenario, but there's a lot of lower level separation issues that are also like unpleasant for you and your neighbors and your dog um, that wouldn't technically be separation anxiety, but still kind of need help. 
Wow. I mean, I feel like I'm like examining my dog now. Like, Torturing I'm, like, trying your dog. To figure if she's ex- like, you know, exhibiting any of these kind of emotions. So, what do you kind of do to kind of start off slow? If you know, like, your schedule's picking up and you got to start leaving more, how do you start getting yeah. them, you know, comfortable slowly instead of just kind of cold turkey? Well, and that's exactly the key is getting them kind of eased into the idea that uh, you're not going to be home all day anymore because a lot of these dogs that were adopted during the pandemic. They don't actually realize that you leaving is an option right now. <laughs> the last year is just what we do. Um, so that's definitely a concern. And it's all about baby steps with this stuff. Um, I kind of saw this coming a year ago. And so I literally would, uh, for you know, 10, 15 minutes every day, I would go into the garage and sit quietly because I had nowhere else to go. But I didn't want my dogs to to expect me to be there all the time. And so that's what I would recommend everybody does right now is take little brief, you know, outings, even if it's just, you know, getting groceries or whatever, um, and making it enjoyable for your dog by giving them something to do, like a food dispensing toy or some peanut butter on a plate. You know, make it as fun as possible because it's not going to be fun otherwise. Does keeping your TV on or music help? Oh, I do that. Coco be mm-hmm. on the couch watching TV when I get home. Some dogs totally watch TV, which is adorable and amazing, but completely separate, unfortunately, from separation anxiety. Uh, You know, you could put on the TV. I'm a big fan of white noise because it drowns out some of the noises that your dog might get triggered by and start barking at. But I don't think there's a harm in having TV or, you know, radio or, you know, something kind of going on in the background. I think that's kind of nice, and I definitely leave it on for my dogs, too. Yeah, you know, there's this thing called Velcro dogs where they're very needy and clingy. That's just kind of of like what they're called and there's dogs by breeds that tend to be more clingy how do you stop a velcro dog i'm not asking you know i'm asking for a friend <laughs> of course um you know the velcro dog thing some dogs are just naturally like that it's it's nature as opposed to nurture but the last year i've never seen so many velcro dogs in my life and i think that these dogs were by and large you know made not born that way and it's just the circumstances so this is going to sound callous but it's totally not i make it a point to ignore my dogs a little bit every day meaning i actually have a it sounds, it sounds terrible. It hurts me more than it hurts them. But literally a couple times a day, they'll come up and say, you know, hey, can we sit on the couch together? Not in English, but with their little doggy faces. And I just go, not now, guys. And I turn away and I ignore them. And they look at me like I'm a monster. But it's a way for them to realize, oh, right, I'm not always, like, the center of attention. I'm not always going to get what I want from my human. And I survive. I can yeah. sit on my doggy bed, and I'm not going to implode because oh, I'm not right next to my human. See, I used to feel so bad because my dog, she is, plot twist, I was talking about me. Um, I don't look at Coco that bad, though. <laughs> no, you don't. You well, haven't been Bentley, in the, my, d- my My former dog. Shira wants to talk about herself now, so go ahead. No, but, like, Bentley was my <laughs> Worse. Yeah, okay, that's a whole other thing. Bentley, no, but Coco is, when she gets around other people, but when we're at home, she mm-hmm. is, a, like, I can't go into, like, I'll be, like, standing in my room, and she'll be propped up on the couch looking at me. Like, she follows me everywhere I go, and it's just one of those things where I have tried so hard to, like, just, you know, sometimes I ignore her, but then I'll feel bad, because I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want her to not feel loved. It, it hurts. Like, there's a lot of times where I tell my dogs, 
no, guys, don't get on the couch with me right now. And <sighs> all I want to do is say, my mind. come on, it's okay. But I don't. I, I think that it's really good for our dogs, just like for, you know, any relationship, you got to have a little space. And sometimes yes. it takes one yes. person to be the one to say, like, I think we need a little a little alone time it's here. It's healthy. It's yeah, you. since you're an expert, we just have 30 seconds. Uh, what do you do if your neighbors are saying that while you're gone, the dog keeps barking and making noises? Good question. Take a recording of it and see what's really going on. Because I don't believe all neighbors. Nothing against your neighbors. But um, take a recording of it and then... You know, provided that that's true, whenever you leave, give your dog an amazing food toy. If that doesn't help your dog get calm while you're leaving, then it's probably time to call a behavior consultant or a professional who can kind of help you with a protocol. Okay. Mm. Kate Nido, certified dog behavior consultant for separation anxiety and owner of High 10 Dog Training. Wow. Thanks for joining so us. Informative. Thank you. Yes. Now, coming up, the real reason why dating apps make you feel awful. We are here for you. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So I'm so excited for our next guest. Her 2015 Vanity Fair story, Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse, was one of the first viral articles. She's since become a best-selling author, filmmaker. Her memoir, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno, is out now. Nancy Jo Sales, thanks for joining us on Let's Go There. Hi. Hi. Yes, I feel like I want to dive into all of your life and everything because you are such a, a pioneer and icon in the field. You were actually one of the first who revealed what the Bling Ring movie is based on, FYI, for those who are fans of the Bling Ring. Uh, but you've been also documenting the rise in dating apps uh, since you know, 2015. So your, your, this article is all about why dating apps make you feel awful. How have you seen things change or evolve? Um, you mean since, well, I went on them in 2013, 2014 when like the heterosexual type dating apps, now they've expanded into more LGBTQ plus dating. But when it first came out, Tinder and there was also OkCupid were, you know, more heterosexual based. And I went on them then. I was 49 at the time when I went on. And um, it's only grown. You know, it's only gotten more and more and more uh, pervasive to the point where I really feel like these companies have overwhelmed the landscape of dating for all people, regardless of gender, sexual orientation. And people feel like there's no other way to date. And yet these companies are not accountable at all for the most part, to the harms that are coming to people, especially, I would say, women, people of color, LGBTQ plus people, they do not respond as I believe they should and that we need to demand that they do to people when they are harassed, when they are sexually assaulted, even unfortunately raped, you know, oh, it's all unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So that's really what my new book, Nothing Personal, my secret life in the dating app inferno is about it's about my own you know dive down the rabbit hole slash inferno of online dating at the same time as i was researching writing articles and and did a documentary film too for hbo which is still up there and you can see it on amazon prime as well i don't i i don't get any money for that but it's on there you should possibly bucks. and it's called i know well thank you it's called swiped hooking up in the digital age it came out two years ago. 
So it's Three so, years ago. Yeah, it's so interesting, all of the, the research and the work that you've done in, in this space. I just wonder, do you think, you know, apps has kind of changed our collective dating patterns over the years? Absolutely. I mean, when they first came out, and to, to a certain extent, I still, I still see this as the case that, you know, my friends who are LGBTQ+, they say, well, it makes it easier for us to date. I have friends who are in the gay community who have come from, you know, little little tiny towns in Texas where it would be like actually unsafe to go somewhere and try and pick someone up in a bar, you know, whatever. So these apps were really, really useful for that. And that cannot be discounted. I mean, that's such an important thing that they did. But along with that, there was all kinds of other stuff that was challenging, I think, to people's health, well-being, uh, sense of privacy, consent, I mean, for one thing, they steal our data without telling us and without really our knowledge often. And um, so I, I really, this book is, it's my personal experience, but it's also like a big critique of what I call big dating. Because I, I want people to think about these dating companies as kind of like big pharma. You know, these are capitalist companies that are not fairy godmothers. They are not trying to get you a soulmate. They're trying to exploit you and make money off you. So what's the alternative? I mean, and, and in, in your critique of these apps, and it's there for good reason, what did you discover on the other side? Were you able to get off them yourself? I did get off them. I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm 56 now, so I am older. In the book, I talk about a lot of hookups <laughs> that I had as a <laughs> as a woman going through a, a lot of hookups with younger guys that I had as a woman in my late 40s, early 50s, you know, who was single, going through a midlife crisis, going through menopause, feeling like I needed companionship and wanting to have sex. And this is kind of the only way because it's kind of like become the only way to date which i think is unfortunate um i'm not on them anymore i mean since uh a couple years ago even before pandemic but i really you know i really think that eventually we're gonna look back i hope i hope we're gonna look back on this as this very dark period of dating because i think a lot of a lot of what's going on is very brutal Okay, so no alternatives. <laughs> so we're just gonna... The alternative, I think... <laughs> yeah, is, let's the hear alternative it. Ended on a high to, note, maybe. I, no, well, I think the alternative is to, um, you know, to use a, a, a phrase out of gay culture, take back the night, take back your agency, you know, be independent in your ability to find a person to date, have sex with, talk with, be a companion to where it's not mediated by a capitalistic company. You know, we don't have to do this. We don't have we, this idea that, well, this is the only way to do it is brainwashing, really. And these apps are, if you read my book, you'll just see how I go into the tech and the algorithms and all that kind of stuff and how it literally is brainwashing. And they will talk about it almost proudly that they are brainwashing us to think and act in certain ways. We don't have to. We do not have to bow to the man and be in service, giving them all this free labor. We can actually talk to each other in real life, in person. We can actually, you know, connect on our own. Yeah, I did it. I met a guy in person. And uh, again, 
Your memoir is called Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno. Nancy Joe Sales, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Coming up on the show, why the Dear Evan Hansen trailer is sparking jokes and questions around older actors playing teenagers. Is that okay? Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So it's been a conversation that a lot of people have around Hollywood. When are actors too old to play teenagers? Because a lot of movies and TV shows have older actors playing teens. All of them do, except for the ones that are on Disney. And I feel like... And even then, they are a little bit older. I mean, well... I'm trying to think of teenage shows now. I feel like, yeah. You don't some, watch teenage shows. I, I watch generational HBO is a great one. All of them are basically adults and they're playing Gen Zers. Okay. They're over the age of 18. Well, now the Dear Evan Hansen trailer, because of course it was a Broadway hit. Now it's going to become a movie. It's getting some reactions. It's incredible. Everyone loves it. Well, here's a b- bit of that. Oh. We have the clip. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be an amazing day, and here's why. Have you been doing those letters to yourself with Dr. Sherman? I've been trying to. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one signed your cast. Now we can both pretend we have friends. I'm sorry about my brother. Have you ever felt forgotten? In the middle of nowhere. I wish everything was different. Wish I was part of something. Okay, I, I mean, you want to just sing to it and listen to the whole thing? I know the but... whole um, soundtrack, and I haven't even seen the Broadway production. Really? Yeah. Oh, good to know. I if was, I, uh, I was to... on it. What? To what? Buy a present for you? Yeah, if you want to buy, I mean, I would love to go see. I wish I would have got to see it when Ben Platt was the part of the original cast, but I was poor, living in Los Angeles. It was never going to happen. But if it happened, if they come to the Pantages here, is that how you say it in Los Angeles? Let's let's have a date and go. Maybe one day we'll be successful, popular enough that Ben Platt will be on our show and I'll have him come and like sing the song to you. We've already had his boyfriend on our show. True, we're one degree separated. Anyway, so Ben, we need to get to our focus. Ben is 27. He obviously had the role on Broadway and they won tons of awards. Now that it's a film adaptation, a lot of people are just taking note that He's portraying a 17-year-old high school student. And now, well, he's done this before. So. He he did this in Ryan Murphy's The Politician. He played a high schooler. But now, at 27, he's kind of looking a bit older. No, he's not. Is he not. Too, too old to play a teenager? That is so rude. No, he's not. I think he looks great. I think he is the perfect person to continue. Because he, he's one of the originators. He was off-Broadway Evan. And he uh, was the original cast. Yeah. And so it just makes sense for him to do the film version as well. And so for me, I think he looks great. I think there's plenty of actresses and actors who play uh, younger characters. And I don't, I don't find that to be Wait. weird. According to the Daily Dot, they had a very scathing review. Platt's Evan Hansen, who has social anxiety, is constantly hunched over, has bags under his eyes, and he appears to be wearing an ill-suited That's wig. That's literally All of this uh, stands character. out mo- much more in scenes where Evan Hansen is literally in the spotlight. 
here's the thing. That is literally the character. That's why I'm saying people writing these reviews have no clue what the the actual play is about or the Broadway production because that's that's exactly what it's about. That it's supposed to be a kid who is shy, who was ne- no one notices them. You know, they're just trying to kind of like deal with you know their own thing, and then they make up this elaborate lie that they have to continue to continue and continue, and so then they kind of find their voice. But it is it's it's one of those things where it's like, girl, it's not like he looks sixty eight. How old could we both play? I think you could play maybe. A, no, you're more college. You Girl, could, I could, you could go young. You maybe. <gasps> I actually thought you were older than you are when I met you. Everyone thinks I'm older than I am. Okay, so there's the answer. Yeah. Me, I think I could go for college age. Sixty five. <laughs> You could go for 65. Oh so let us know what you think. A sensible How... <laughs> young 65. Is it too much that we've got these older actors playing teenagers? At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. But coming up, a music festival is coming back this summer. We'll tell you which one next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. You know, when you're not here, Ryan, I miss that because so no one who says did it yesterday? It. No one. Really? It was empty. Why did no one do it? No one wanted to do it. That is weird. I've done it before. It is a part we of the We need to show. record it so we can just play it. At yeah, any rate. True. Well, New York City is launching the nation, nation's largest employment development program for at-risk LGBTQ youth. It's called NYC Unity Works, and they're investing $2.6 million to help young adults with job training, education, and mental health services. This is awesome good on new york for doing this i mean yeah yes queen yes queen and of course more yes queens go to other folks we featured throughout the show the one and only billy porter who Mm -hmm. announced that he was hiv positive and also demi lovato who announced that they are non-binary yeah so so much good news. It was a very busy news week, uh, day, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of great news that deserves to be celebrated. So, yes, queen to all of them. Exactly. And that does it for our show today, but we are back tomorrow live here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern, bringing you everything you need to know about what's happening in the world and the community. We're going to be talking about the app that could revolutionize public safety for black LGBTQ plus people, and I'm excited for this. We're going to be... Uh, revealing what alcohols make you more hungover. I mean, this is the news we need to know about. That's tomorrow. If you miss any of our shows or or interviews, we have a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. And subscribe to our podcast. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Love Line, where Dr. Chris is covering self-regulation. That's All next. Right now. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. 
even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.